0: Great. We welcome you to another episode of Learning Stories. This is a show where we profile a diverse set of learners from the 21st century. In each episode of this show, we profile and interview a guest who has a unique story to share about how they acquired a set of uh, diverse skills and knowledge in a unique and creative manner. In the process, we hope to uncover a new definition of learning as conceptualized, narrated, and imagined by the guest on our show. Today's guest is a colleague whose work I've admired professionally for a very long time, um, Radhika Zahedi. We've uh, known each other um, professionally for about four to five years. And uh, just to give the viewers a little background about her work up to now um, in the field of education. Radhika has been working in the field of education uh, since 2005 and currently serves as the school director at the Green Acres Academy and the center director for the Acres Foundation Center for Teaching and Educational Leadership. She has a wide range of experiences, which includes serving as school principal, teacher coach, teacher and curriculum head in a variety of settings, including IB, IGCSE, special needs schools, plus a few short but valuable stints in municipal schools in Mumbai, public schools in New York City, and a rural school in Northeast of India. Radhika is passionate about building learning organizations, schools with a culture of continuous learning and innovation filled with empowered leaders, teachers, parents, and students. Radhika has used her decade of experience in the classroom, working directly with students and teachers to champion curricular programs and teacher development that focuses on deep, meaningful learning. Um, Radhika also spent the first five years of her career as a high school mathematics teacher And that's something I'm really excited to talk about. And she has a passion for promoting learning but understanding and learning for all students. In terms of her educational training, uh, she has a master's degree in mathematics education from the Teachers College in Columbia University um, and a bachelor's degree in engineering from Mumbai University, which is another thing I'm really excited to talk about in terms of how she made that shift. Radhika also writes about education on her wonderful blog. I will be linking that in the show notes here um, as the director um, of the, um, get that name right again, the Acres Foundation Center for Teaching and Educational Leadership. She's constantly designing and implementing professional development resources for teachers. So if there's any teacher listening to this podcast and interview, I highly recommend Uh, looking up the foundation's website, but maybe just going through Radhika's blog and uh, looking at all the resources uh, you can find there as a teacher. But Radhika, thank you so much for making time for this. I know that was a slightly uh, long introduction, but I feel it's really important whenever we start this show to give the listeners a background of the person we're interviewing. And because you're a teacher, Radhika, the question I wanted to start with as a student, uh, Radhika, what were you like growing up as a student? And you know, what were some of your hobbies? I know you grew up in Mumbai and uh, I'm, I've always been fascinated by how teachers look at themselves as students and beyond school, what were some of the other hobbies you were interested in, your family influence? So what was Radhika like as a child growing up? Sure. Um, so first of
1: all, thanks Abhishek for the opportunity. Really excited to to share my my experiences um, so radhika as a child um, when i was young i'm just thinking what um, if i had to summarize me as a student i would say i was um, um master of of many a jack of all trades but master of, of none that was basically uh, who i was i i loved to learn a lot of things and i did that pretty well uh, i was Pretty good student in school. Teacher, if I was a teacher, I would have loved me as a student. Super compliant and curious, um, and uh, I, I had that same um, you know curiosity in other areas as well. So arts, um, music, dance. Um, I played a lot of sports, tennis, table tennis. Um, but uh, I was never. I was a. I was never. I don't think I could compete or excel at anything. And I was not really a risk taker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, and, and I say this because uh, to give you an example, my husband is the exact opposite of me. He'll do something today. And I think as a kid as well, and like last week, he's like, I want to learn woodworking. And he's like, I'm going to build a guitar. Uh-huh. I was like, Are you insane? That is not the path to learning woodworking. Yeah. And for me, I, but he does, that's what drives him. And for me, from the time I was a kid, I think it's it's always been um, a love for learning, but I've always wanted to enjoy the journey, mm. you know? So it's very important that the process was enjoyable to me. And, and uh, I heard uh, Tim Ferriss, and I've been talking about Tim Ferriss a lot with you as well, because uh, yeah. I've been enjoying his podcast, but I, something he said really like resonated with me Radhika as a child to Radhika now. yeah. And he said, you know, I like to pick things where even if the outcome is not that great, I have still won. Right. You know, because the process and just the journey is so enjoyable. Um, and I think that's, that's something, that's how I was uh, as a student. Um, you know, in all my settings, whether it was sports or um, academics. Interesting. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Was there a particular subject that you found uh, really interesting or you remember some experience in terms of something you learned at school? Again, I think sports is also a great metaphor for life in terms of the skills it teaches you, teamwork, collaboration. So maybe maybe an academic subject and an extracurricular activity that you particularly were fond of growing up and what that taught you about yourself? Because um, it's interesting to think about how those early... Um, inclinations Radhika lead to what we decide to choose at university you know so I'm thinking about how that early curiosity transferred on to um, a passion for science and engineering but was there a teacher that taught you in a particular way or maybe just an experience in an academic lens and an experience in an extracurricular lens for sure. us um, I'll
1: start with academics so I was in uh, this is the 80s, 90s. I was in one of the these massive convent schools, all girls. In my grade, there were 300 kids, 50 to 60 kids in a class. It was like one of those, you know, public-private uh, partnerships. So, like the fees were really diverse, really, really rich kids and really, really, uh, you know, uh, low socioeconomic, uh, you know, populations as well. So it was a really nice, diverse group. But the, I would say, like the education at that point, honestly, was quite uninspiring and that in those settings and so i think i was one of those fortunate few who just somehow enjoyed learning incidentally on my own you know i don't think there was like a moment where some a teacher introduced me to something uh, and that, that blew my mind away uh, and i know many of my friends were put off uh, from learning through the same experiences uh, but uh, in that process, I was never a reader as a kid. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to say now reading is one of my most favorite things to do. But as a child, somehow I never picked up reading. Okay. Uh, and so I, I didn't, I wasn't even you know, like those kids who have like this wealth of knowledge as kids Kids and making connections. And so I was curious to learn, but then as I discovered mathematics and science especially physics i found myself being drawn to those subjects more than others right wow, okay because i was just amazed by how much you could how much problem solving you could do with just a few foundational principles you know mm-hmm. like few laws rules and you just apply them to different settings and you're able to solve this whole like class of problems right which True. which didn't didn't feel like the same thing in um the other disciplines like the humanities or languages, um, and and so I, I just had a nat- natural affinity to maths and science. Everything about those two disciplines, uh, you know, fascinated me. Um, so I think academically, those were things I was passionate about. Right. And uh, outside of academics, I loved sports. Um, okay. I think I I don't think I think sports has tremendous potential to develop grit in yeah. children but I don't think I developed grit in sports and I think I also had a bit of a fixed mindset which in hindsight now I can recognize but what sports did teach me so I absolutely despised competition. Mm. I competed but I it was it tore me down. but what I did love in sports was the community, and it taught me a lot about um, relationships and using teams to learn from and to again enjoy the process. Mm. So, so that was uh, that was another thing. And of course, the arts. Um, I grew up in uh, this little bubble in Bandra, very close knit community, and and um, arts was very central to everything we did as children. Um, yeah. you know, it was not uncommon to hear every floor playing loud music on a Saturday or Sunday, um, dance, music, uh, I remember at my family parties, um, someone would just, you know, start on the piano or with <laughs> a guitar and everyone was singing. It was part of the culture, you know, like singing along with what they did at, at, a, at a party. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, I have a very, very strong connection to the creative arts that still lives on to today and I, I think in all the schools I've been have also been an advocate or a champion for developing arts programs. I don't think I've reached my goals yet but uh, definitely uh, developed that passion early on uh, in my childhood.
0: That's that's wonderful. I love how you articulated you know or just shared those experiences, Radhika like I remember like I have the same experience as you in terms of reading. I never I never read uh, a lot as a kid because I didn't really understand the uh, the reasons to do that. But there was a time in grade eleven when a teacher realized I liked sports, and for some reason she took an interest in me and gave me a couple of books about sports people, and that was the first time in my life I realized you could read books about things you're interested in. And for some reason, you know, she kept pushing books down, uh, down whatever. I I kept asking her. I'm interested in this sport. I'm interested in this sport. And, and then I realized that you can use reading to understand about the things you're interested in rather than just read because you wanna score well uh, at school or impress somebody. And you know, unfortunately I didn't have the same um, mentorship for math and physics. And, and for a lot of people that I went to a CBSE school and just to break down the Indian education system, I grew up in the Middle East but a lot of the South Asian community over there went to uh, schools that were affiliated to the Indian board. So you have private boards like CBSE and ICSE, and then you have the public system in every state as well. So I went to a CBSE school and there was a lot of uh, emphasis on the maths and sciences. And my parents pushed me to, you know, take up the engineering field and but I I was always scared of math and science because I always knew they would judge me and judge my potential. So I I ran as far away from that as possible. And I wish it was different. But I you know as a child you're always scared of judgment, right, Radhika? And I think that's where I came from. And as a teacher, I'm trying to break out of those notions. But it's just super interesting to see your story and your journey and how it went just the other way, you know. And I think yeah, you, you know, know
1: what? what. Go Sorry, ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I'm... As you're talking, I feel like I literally had the exact opposite experiences of as you did because yeah. as a kid, I, my mom poor thing. She used to say, "Read, read! It's so important! It's so important!" But they weren't readers either, so I, yeah. I never saw them reading, and I never authentically took to it. Yeah. Um, and I actually became a reader in my thirties. That's how late I discovered reading. It's I, I feel huge sense of FOMO for the first two decades of my life, yeah. but. Uh, my daughter is seven, and she's just finished all seven Harry Potter books. And yeah. I see, like, I have attained victory as a parent. At least she genuinely loves reading, and yeah. that was like my one parenting goal. So <laughs> uh, that, and it's interesting about the math and science. I did engineering too, as you mentioned earlier. But my parents and the community around me, no one, very few people pursued, like. A heavy academic track engineering or medicine my parents almost never said like you should do medicine they were like do whatever you want sure um, so and I was one of the few people who actually landed up uh, pursuing engineering in my immediate sort of community around me so it's almost had like the exact opposite uh, experience as you had.
0: No, that's, that's, and it's interesting. We, we also take a lot of our own teaching experiences into our teaching practice, right? And that's something to be mindful and conscious of is do you have a particular mindset with a subject? And is that something you are taking into the classroom? Because now as an elementary teacher, I'm teaching math, um, science, English, and I want to make sure they just as you as a parent, you know, with the students you're working with, you want to make sure they have the best possible experience possible. but I'm curious about because uh, growing up in India, you know there uh, most of our learning is structured into larger streams and very early on in high school we are often made to take a decision between the arts, commerce and the sciences. And I don't know if it was the same for you, but um, there is there is an, an, sometimes you feel some sort of pressure in terms of there being a hierarchy, In terms of certain subjects being placed on a pedestal and certain other subjects not being given as much importance but what was your experience in high school and uh, university like in terms of your exposure to those subjects and um, just in terms of how it opened your thinking and um, even even beyond that you know what were you considering in terms of your long-term career goals i'm curious about that phase between high school university and your first professional years radhika
1: uh, you're actually absolutely, li- ri- absolutely right uh, we had those streams, science commerce arts my time it was just three now at least they have a few more but i think that is one of the the biggest and most important changes we have to make to the system kids are still having to choose in today's day and age where there's absolutely no need mm-hmm. um Having said that, I do find myself advising kids who are absolutely unsure of what to do. Um, And I guess this again comes from my personal experience, right? Um, Because if you go into, if you don't know what to do, but you pursue an arts stream, you are limited with your choices beyond that.
0: Correct. But
1: for example, me, I pursued engineering. Yeah. because I just enjoy the subjects of course so that's a different thing and I, I, I wanted to pursue that but I really was able to I, I worked as a software engineer after that and I had absolutely no problem transitioning into the education space true uh, so I think that is a very um, practical aspect it's not ideal and I do find myself telling kids you know what right now if you can try and keep your options open but don't of course torture yourself and go into like a science field if you absolutely hate it but and the other thing that complicates it is most of the Indian curricula at least in the state and you know um, these boards the the curriculum is not representative of what knowledge they need to know for the future Mm. so it's not even like your I truly believe everybody needs to know math science history languages uh they're they're all critical to any job that you sort of or any career that you want to pursue right in different ways even the arts True. but the way that the curriculum teaches them i i have apart from it building my rational thinking i don't think any of the science or engineering knowledge that i acquired in my education i had a practical use for
0: interesting okay
1: um, what those things did for me I told you sports didn't really build grit but edu- uh, engineering my four years and my engineering experience uh, it really built it really exposed me to gritty uh, learners you mm-hmm. know uh, they, they really knew how to stay focused and were just great at learning so I think that's something I saw and I was inspired by in many ways, even though they may not have, it may, it may have been for a very short term outcome, getting a good grade, but it was still something to admire. Interesting. Um, and yeah, and uh, as I did in school, the things that interested me, I, I picked up sort of on my own and I, st- I was I was a like, nerdy kid. So I always attended classes, but the curriculum, the experience was not super inspiring. Okay. Um, and I don't think it had an inspiring effect on any of my peers.
0: You know. right. but, uh, and during that time at uh, university, uh, what what branch of engineering were you studying, Radhika?
1: So again, great, um, between, uh, which brings me to another point. Yeah. Um, kids, at least my time, and I, I have a feeling it still is the case in India, at least, and I'm yeah. sure it's different around the world, but uh, kids are not thought to think about long-term goals or just about goals yeah Um, they're taught about to think about which stream you want and then what you want next and sometimes they are taught to think about what profession do you want to pursue do you want to be a doctor engineer teacher right but kids need to be thinking about what like impact they want to make in the world or what difference that that's the kind of goal setting you want them to do and then the paths to that can be so different right True. so for me of course i had to choose Uh, my thought process was what do you want to pursue okay you're great at math and science you love it medicine or engineering i prefer physics and math i'll go for engineering because i hate chemistry and i really don't want to be remembering a lot of chemistry Um, and i think about it now i think i would have i would have loved um, medicine as a profession too but just like the thought process was so narrow at that time um, that I chose engineering. I loved engineering too. So I, I loved a lot of things, but I loved engineering, uh, just, you know, the subjects Yeah. and uh, there wasn't really, uh, I wasn't thinking about like what I wanted to do with my knowledge and what impact I think it was a very like short, I was super short sighted and just, you know, took one step at a time, whatever opportunities were there. I I worked hard and I, and I pursued those. I studied biomedical engineering. Okay. And again, why? Because I loved biology and I loved math and physics. And that was the intersection of all. But when I did the course, I hated it. Yeah. I didn't know what it was, right? Yeah. So I, um, again, I think because I took choices that kept my options open, I got lucky. Sure. my first two years i loved it because those were generic tracks for all students and then when i specialized into the biomedical stuff i hated what i was doing yeah. and i was lucky that even in spite of that i could get a job because I, I they do give you some sort of software uh, computers sort of foundation i got a job in a software company in what i realized what was that what i wanted to pursue
0: correct so, yeah And and, you know, that's, that's, that's really, you made so many important points there, you know, the flexibility is there one way. For instance, if you choose science, you can go into commerce and arts. But if you choose arts, it's very difficult to make the transition to commerce and science. And, and that is unfortunate for so many students, right? And I also think the, the point you made about the number of students in your class, you know, and I, I have both of us are teachers and I have immense respect for the profession and the amount of workload that we give teachers, right? If you have a class with 45 students and you have a class with 15 students, the quality of instruction is going to be significantly different. And that is something people don't realize, especially when you're you're not in the classroom, you know, because the amount of individual attention you can give a child, and, and a lot of people fall through, you know, the holes, like some students like you that were motivated are able to find your path because you have some additional support or fortunately you have the learning skills to go through that system. You know, But there will be a lot of students that will take mindsets that they acquire at school into the rest of their life. They will always yeah. say that I'm not a math person. I don't read. I don't like science because it's so confusing. And I don't like science because I did bad on a grade 10 math test when there shouldn't be any connection between the two because science is not just for scientists right science is for is for you to understand the world better and it's it's amazing to think about how you can develop a newfound connection for these subjects when you start looking at it from that perspective and there's no fear of a grade you know sort of blocking you from that vision but you also mentioned something about the structure of learning experiences in those settings and you know I'm, i'm curious about the transition that you made mentally and how you you know, went about doing that because as a teacher, I I know you get lots of opportunities to talk about what it's like to be a teacher, but I'm also curious about Radhika as the learner, you know, like you mentioned that uh, experience of being a learner in your thirties, but very early on, you know, you had to make that professional shift from, and I know at this time, you also took up a volunteering teaching experience at a local municipal school in Mumbai. So, what was that phase of your life like, Radhika? In terms of working, you know, as a software engineer, as an engineer, and also doing these volunteering uh, or full-time jobs. I'm sorry, I'm not very. But then, how did that lead to the decision of doing uh, a master's in mathematics education, which is super focused and super directed? You know, I'm just curious how that phase in your life led to that.
1: Yeah. Um, great question. Uh, I. While I was an engineering student, um, I, well, first of all, I, I was always uh, somebody who, uh, when I was in it, I would do enough so that I was getting the learning, but I would never do anything to get that full, like that 99%. I could never be somebody who excelled just for topping the exam. I could just do enough so that I would be consistent and, you know, not have what they call KTs allowed to keep turns if you lose a, um, if you fail an exam. So I would never be in that zone. And even um, in my 12th grade, I don't know if you know this or if you remember, but it was similar, but when people choose science in grade 12 here, they go to colleges that don't expect them to attend. So they can just cram for exams. Mm. And I had friends who have like 2% attendance, 3% attendance. I had 89% attendance that year because I was just there to learn. Yeah. I think yeah. I must have had the highest attendance in the whole college. So um, that, that was kind of, um, you know, who I was. Um, and during that time, like I said, I, I pursued a lot of things that I enjoyed. One of the things I found myself really enjoying was, um, and there are a couple of reasons for this was teaching kids so Mm -hmm. while I was in engineering I used to go on on weekends to volunteer at you know um, this is before I joined the municipal school so I'd go on Saturday and Sunday and uh, they used to have this school uh, in a bus on on like Carter road on on the seaside Um, and I would teach there every Saturday and Sunday really Mm -hmm. enjoyed that experience I was a terrible teacher I'm pretty sure I taught the kids nothing now that I look back but I had a uh, and some camaraderie with them. So that experience sort of went on for two years on the side. Got it. Um, in addition to that, I um, my passion for dance. I also was had a short stint as a dance teacher uh-huh. um, with, with uh, as a salsa instructor. Okay. Um, so after I graduated from college and I was working as a software engineer. I would come back on weekends, and every weekend I would teach dance to adults. And those two experiences brought me so much joy. Just the process of teaching them—it was just seeing people learn what I was, was show, teaching them was just really fulfilling to me. So that kind of um, stuck in my head. Um, and I'm going to skip back to uh, an experience. experience one important sort of experience from my childhood my my parents uh, my dad in particular did something he he always made us i mean we were fairly privileged um, not like super rich or, or whatever but fairly privileged he always made us very aware of our privilege and very aware of inequity around us and he mm-hmm. would do sometimes really like ridiculous things he would take us to uh, a really fancy dinner and we, we would eat you know a great meal and then he would completely ruin the meal by saying everybody look at the bill I think this is more than this person's salary this person's salary and this and you, anyway, at that moment I would be so pissed off because I, we didn't even ask him to take us out to dinner he chose yeah. the place yeah. but he would do I mean he would do these things which at that time seemed super annoying but yeah. they did make me very aware of my privilege and the inequity around me everywhere right and in Mumbai it's It's everywhere, right? So I think these three things combined sort of while I was in Infosys, um, I I was working in Infosys as a software engineer, Um, sort of made me uh, lingering. It was lingering there. And uh, I I wasn't having very inspiring experiences in Infosys also. I think it was because it was a massive company. And I too wasn't, honestly, it wasn't all them. I don't think I was so focused. Like I said, right, I was just, I learned how to work hard, but I hadn't learned how to think strategically. or I wasn't even sure about what I wanted to create as a software engineer, you know.
0: Got it. Yeah. Um,
1: and then about that time, I met my husband, who was also in a similar space. And when we started talking, we both realized we wanted to do something that was socially impactful. Um, and we both started talking about education. Mm-hmm. Um, so after two years working is when I sort of decided to take a plunge and uh, you know leave that job but I realized two things uh, along with him one is I really don't know anything about education so I need to um, get an education myself to learn how to impart education to others and uh, the second thing is I said I need to really first before taking the plunge I need to figure out really if this is for me so that's when I quit um, as a software engineer after two years and I applied to a small little, um, you know, the, the public-private partnerships when yep. NGO was running a municipal school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I worked there for one year as a fifth and sixth grade teacher. It was amazing experience, eye-opening. Again, there, I feel like I taught the kids nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made just really good friendships. And they were, you know, they, we had a great relationship, positive environment, but no actual academic learning. But that was enough for me. That along with my teaching experiences was enough for me to say, okay, I think I, I need to dive into this, and then I applied to Columbia.
0: And got that. and that's that's wonderful, Radhika. You know, I really like how rather than just you know reading about education, you actually you know went uh, you went into a classroom and looked at what that was like, and that's a great thing. I mean, that's an, that's a model that more people can actually learn from. If there's a particular field or endeavor where you're interested in, you know, maybe go and try a volunteer experience or a short time internship in that particular space to help you understand more if that is something you would be yes. comfortable with but i really like that point you made about being a salsa instructor or you know just teaching uh, on the weekends and sometimes you know we we think that teaching and learning happens only in the classroom but it's it's all around us you know in our in our free time we're always learning new things some of us learn how to play the guitar some of us learn how to play a new sport. Um, Some of us learn how to dance. And even in those cycles, I mean, teachers know terms like summative, diagnostic, formative, but instructors follow the same model of, you know, first understanding where you're at, then constantly giving you some formative feedback, and then maybe doing a performance to actually share your learning. But it was really interesting. I mean, I, I really like how you shared that experience. But, you know, in terms of and also that decision of just quitting one career and starting another. I think you mentioned you know, uh, bits about your parents' influence and your partner's influence too. And I think that is something that is very, um, sorry, underrated in terms of our growth uh, in the long term because both our parents are the first models of adults or you know, if you have, uh, I mean, the guardian or the parent, we look at them and the profession they have. And that becomes our um, set model of what an adult should be like, not just professionally, but also emotionally. And, uh, yes. and I think those conversations you had with your dad and your mom and maybe your other guardians and your partner as well, I mean, in some way could have led to that decision of, or that um, very scary decision of moving to another country and uh, yes. pursuing this path. But I mean, again, India, uh, the US, education is completely different. So, you know, at Columbia, I mean, it's one of the best education um, like teachers colleges in the world. It is called the Teachers College at Columbia University. What was your experience learning about education there like and, and what, um, what did it change about your thinking and what did it um, expand in terms of what you already saw in India?
1: Uh-huh. So I went to teacher's college with a year of experience in sort of an almost semi-structured setting, right? Because there's no professional development, there's no induction, that kind of thing. And it just blew my mind away. I was just hearing so many new things about teaching and learning. Just, um, first of all, just like an evidence-based approach um, to teaching the fact that there's so much knowledge out there, um, the way people think about curriculum, I was learning uh, math or seeing math suddenly in a way that I hadn't seen it before, even though I was so, so passionate about it, I I was seeing the limitations of my own educational experiences all in that one year. Um, And so it just, it fired me up. uh, And Honestly, I think that's what it did. It just opened my mind to some things. It made me recognize what I had suspected that I really don't know enough anything about teaching. Because, you know, you, you, you have a tendency. I know many people have a tendency. And I, knew, I know I had that as well before, that, you know, I'm a smart person. I learn things well. I, I know I'm going to be pretty good at teaching if I just put my head to it, right? And I went there and I realized that, look, yes, that's something you can do. Mm -hmm. but um, there is expertise related to this field and a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And another interesting thing, I have this conversation with a lot of young people today who are looking to um, study and they reach out for advice. And uh, I went really early uh, with very little experience. And so I feel though it opened my mind dramatically to so many things, I feel like I was absorbing like 30% of, of the courses because my own experience was so Um, small before that Mm. and in such a a unique setting whereas I feel like if people have worked two or three years in a school um, they're able to process all the information at a much deeper level so there are definitely advantages uh, for me going in so early because when I came back I had like a lifetime of information that I needed to test and try and learn from but I do think a lot might have been lost on me during that course, because it was all so new when I was hearing so much of it for the first time. Sure. Um, whereas if you go later, it's a different thing, but you might find some of the things too basic also. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, like you made some, again, some really good, uh, important points there, Radhika. You know, and I feel like you also realize how much you don't know when you start studying a subject that you're really interested in. And also as a teacher, your first, and you very humbly stated that your first two or three years, you're just figuring things out, you're not really sure what is happening, you, you don't know where things are going. But I know right after your experience at that university, you came back and started working as a math teacher um, in an IB, IGCSE school You're in Bombay. Uh, you did that for five years and then you worked at a special uh, needs school for five years in the role of a math coach and then in an administrative position. And this, this decade of your life, over 10 years of teaching and admin, I mean, I'm just so in- intrigued by everything you saw uh, on the ground as a teacher. But the reason I am intrigued by it is because I read an article that you had written earlier um, where you spoke about something, you designed a more project-based approach to learning math where you wanted to teach the students, um, um, I think it was about measurement and area and you actually made them design a space uh, I think their classroom setting, where they could transfer what they're learning in, into class, in the class, into like a real world project, and I think that approach was just amazing because I think just the amount of time you spent designing that sort of strategy would have made that concept so clear, and uh, and they would have enjoyed it because they saw it in the real world, right? So I'm thinking about these 10 years in your life, Radhika maybe you can start off chronologically. I don't know if you remember, I, I know there's so much you've gone through, but, and also you don't have to share students' names because we want to protect privacy and even the institutions or the teachers' names. But if you could just talk about uh, certain things you saw, you did, and you experienced in this 10-year period, uh, that would be really, really interesting for us to hear. And Like, you're absolutely
1: right. Uh, I think as an educator, it's, it's been a transformation. Like when I think about what I knew 10 years ago and what I knew now, completely different people. Um, I think my first experience, those five years, they really, that experience gave me a couple of really, really important things. I think the first thing it gave me a very real, authentic teacher experience. Mm -hmm. And um, that has stuck with me a lot because my previous one year stint, they're not the same as a four or a five-year stint. Because it's only after one or two years where you're given enough responsibility by the student, you have a full load to experience all of the things, um, positive things where you get to be a master in the actual stuff that you're teaching. So in year one, you can't cope with everything. But by year three, when you teach that same thing, your your classes are a whole new world. Um, At the same time, you also experience things like burnout and when you want to do more um, interesting stuff you might have um, you know systemic sort of blocks but it really gave me um, a teacher experience and to, to till today like right now I'm not teaching a class in my new role I feel like I have a great understanding of the teacher experience because of that and I have many arguments with a few of my colleagues who've done one year skills or they are not really done. I'm like, listen, you don't understand. You have to be doing it for four or five years to really understand what they're going through and you know what they can do. So I think that was really powerful. Uh, the second thing was um, the IB curriculum. Uh, it just it blew me away again, you know, and in a different way. Like when I, was, when I did my master's, it was more around learning theories and, you know, what what studies tell us about what works and doesn't work, etc. But IB showed me what a fantastic, what the power of a fantastic curriculum can do. Mm-hmm. Um, learning was so rich, one, it transformed my understanding of the disciplinary stuff, the mathematics, just by being a great curriculum. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the PDU and it was just me studying the curriculum and trying to impart that to my kids. So, I'm a huge fan um, of the IB to this day, even though I'm not uh, currently in an IB school, Um, but that was something that has had a massive impact on my understanding of curriculum, that Fiverr experience. Um, And uh, one small, but uh, still important point, um, the principal in that school, um, I learned something very important from her. I was young and for some reason she trusted me and she gave me a lot of autonomy. And mm-hmm. I see that that doesn't happen in a lot of places. There's a lot of standardization and it's for whatever reason. Sure. Um, but that really allowed my passion for education to keep the fire going rather than me feeling like a burnt out feeling. So mm-hmm. that's one thing I've taken from her. So I think these are like sort of the, the key learnings from that experience. Of um, course, many, many more smaller ones and just community was amazing there as well. Yeah. Um so that's one thing I feel for the most part, I feel education community is just such a cute community. everybody's like everybody yeah. is really nice and sweet. And you see these these shows, like I've been watching like the morning show recently. Yeah. I'm like, I can't relate to those workplaces because education is just it's sweet, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was the first school. And then of course, um, when I went to the special ed school, um I, uh, I ha- I wasn't I wasn't planning to be there for so long. I, I wasn't actually super excited about making a switch to special education at that time. It's like oh my god, this is going to be it's going to derail me. My, my yeah. husband was a head of school at that time, so, and it was so it's a, a whole
0: different help. skill set, right, Radhika, in yeah, terms totally of what this made, so. Yeah,
1: and I was like, I don't think I have the knowledge one, and I, I don't want to get sort of boxed into another. I mean, that's how I looked at it, right? And he said, you know, just come for two years, help us with the math program and everything. So I went in with that intention. But that again, I feel like every experience has completely shifted my perspective on really key areas of learning, right? Mm -hmm. So first big thing in the special education school was, I always was supporter of inclusion special ed but I think I was always a very rational supporter mm-hmm. I knew it was right I knew that's what was that needed to be done how can I not be a supporter when I went there and I met all of these children with many many different like let's say atypical needs um, I met the parents and I saw the challenges they had to face um, on a day-to-day basis but with education with the system and how things sort of compounded in different areas Mm -hmm. and I I think that experience just turned me into a advocate for inclusion but with my whole heart you know and that is going to be with me for the rest of my life Mm. so that's one really big thing because I actually made you know when you meet someone with special needs and you you know maybe one day that's a different thing than having a proper relationship with them right and and then it's it's amazing um and sometimes just meeting kids for a day doesn't allow you to see their full personalities right yeah. for all kids. Yeah. So uh, I think it that, that was a really big shift in my perspective. Um, so that's one big thing. The second thing actually this school taught me was not is not limited just to special education mm-hmm. but it means see learning, again in a completely different light because mm. you know you go to school you go to college and they talk about like learning theories and like constructivism and all these things but here I had to go back three levels I had to under I, I became so aware of um, sensory motor processing and its impact on learning which we just completely take for granted right okay. like a um, vision or a hearing. Sometimes uh, I met kids who, if a label on the back of their neck was itching them, their their system gave them such a big alarm that they just couldn't do anything else. Mm. Right. Mm. So I, I saw this whole other world of sensory processing. I also saw uh, how socio-emotional uh, stuff can interfere very, very explicitly, like anxiety, anger issues, n- not being able to self-regulate so that was another big thing that I saw and of course uh, physiological as well right so like you have a hearing that that maybe people don't realize and they attribute it to not paying attention but it's actually you're not able to hear properly yeah but the kid didn't realize it so uh, that was that also like sort of just really opened my mind and made me realize how complex learning is and sometimes you look at it so narrowly Um, so I really value that that knowledge that sort of I acquired and how, um, you know, you can actually, these things don't have to be acquired implicitly by kids. So yeah. not just if you have a socio-emotional need, but all kids should be taught um, uh, how to uh, be socially aware, self-aware, how to regulate, how to manage your emotion, how to make good decisions, mm. right? That's something all, you we know, shouldn't expect them to learn that uh, implicitly. Sure. So I think this was a really big thing. And of course it gave, uh, the last thing was that school gave me, uh, sort of in my, sweetly threw me into a whole school leadership role, um, which I am so grateful for because I didn't know that I would love it so much, but I, I see this as being my, my, my thing. Like I love it so much because there's so much opportunity, um, much that can be done in this kind of a role so um, that was the third experience I got there and and because it was a very safe and sweet community supportive like I said I'm not a risk taker all my big risks were had to be supported by community and I feel really safe so this is what sort of it allowed me to do that
0: yeah and we're really lucky to have you in that position now Radhika because I think you can do Really wonderful, amazing things in that role. And just in terms of supporting other teachers, other parents, and many more students just beyond the classroom, I think um, it's just good for education in general that you are in that sort I of space. So.
1: I'm glad you think so. Yeah, but you know, know,
0: yeah, yeah, Radhika, like something I'm really curious about, Radhika, is you know, if you had all the resources in the world, okay, and everything was just perfect, what would your ideal classroom look like? You know, because I know you are—you uh, have an like a leadership and administration role, and there are so many blocks and so many barriers. And you know, and again, I think your experience in a and and something I just wanted to point out is, it's so beautiful that you had so much time in that school. And in our school, uh, the school I work in now, we work with a lot of students that are on IEPs that need the additional support. And I know that. We often say that that's the one thing they're not good at, but they're good at so many different other things, you know. And it's so important to not look at a child based on the label they're given, but also look at all their other potential. But coming back to our question about if you had all the resources in the world, what would Radhika's ideal classroom and school community look like?
1: Okay. So just because of where I am right now professionally, I'm going to ask you if I can tweak that question
0: sure. A little sure
1: sure go because, ahead uh, i'm in a space where i i do or my team and all of us we're sort of on this the, the reality about education is that most people don't have all the resources in the Correct. world, and that's what makes the educational challenge so complex right it's it's not only about what we know and can do in theory or want to achieve right and i feel sure. like that's what i'm spending the next five or ten years trying to figure out it's this this value innovation how do we give this really high quality education that schools maybe that charge really like I'm, I'm talking about mumbai like seven eight nine ten lakhs and that's what allows them to afford a one is to 15 20 ratio um two schools that charge less than let's say a lakh and have 40 kids in a class so like yeah. I, for me i feel um, that's the the wicked That's,
0: problem, right? The big yes,
1: design yes the wicked, exactly. Yeah. yeah so I, I, think I'm, I'm. In that setting, uh, like what you were getting at earlier, right, is so yeah. important in today's day and age. Um, standardization can only go so far, right? Like True. I think there is definitely value in. There's, there's no, I mean,
0: I think I think what you're getting at, Radhika, is there's no one perfect model, right? There's going to be different models in different contexts. But I mean, what would your approach, if I had to take, tweak that question, what would your approach be? Again, it's not something you know completely right now, but which direction do you think your thinking would go yeah. in if you had to solve that wicked problem using design thinking? And I know, In your blog you have this wonderful conceptual model of explaining things and I love how you do that but how would you go about solving that problem in in the next 10 years?
1: I think one of of the blogs sort of I put it out there in a very very semi-confusing manner because I still am trying to figure it out but I think um, there's this um, there's some things from the old school not exactly how we did it, but with improvements, top-down approach, like this systematic approach that is still valuable, Mm -hmm. you know, like having uh, rigorous learning standards for all, right, because you can't just take kids or tell schools, hey, teach whatever you want, because you'll have some amazing schools, but you'll also have some schools and teachers that aren't really doing a good job, right? And then equity goes out of the window. So I feel like there is a role for like standards, uh, there is a role for rich curriculum, Uh, There is a role for, um, you know, these top-down, like, improvement science approaches to school improvement um, on one end. And then I think on the other end, the challenge is is, uh, about the learner-centered approaches. Like, at the end of the day, it is a human-centered environment. That's what makes it challenging, right? You can't just approach it like a tech organization. Uh, There are individual learners. And I think that learner-centered sort of approach will... Happen with a couple of things Um, one is the recognition that teachers always play a critical role so I don't think tech is going to completely like knock the teachers out Um, two is um, as you were saying earlier like the system itself should recognize that every learner is an individual right so uh, have you heard of multi-tiered systems of support uh, I'm I'm familiar
0: with it but I'm not uh, yeah Go
1: ahead. Well, well, that emerged from a specialized setting, but actually it really applies to, I think, every school ever for all okay. kinds of learners. Basically, the idea is that look as a, at, at a systems level, you should also have a systematic approach to deciding how much support you can give kids so that all your kids have the, the needs that they, they require. And that means that um, at a first year, everyone should have a high quality base education and like 80%, 85% of our kids will get what they need. And then you have a system for looking at 15% who might need a little bit more over and above this. And then you have that small percent that may need like just IEPs and all because this foundation is not working. So mm-hmm. I feel like this this synergy of like top down plus learner centeredness has to happen. Um, and I think what's new or what's exciting about today is technology can... Enable us to do that at school, mm-hmm. you know. So, for example, um, uh, you know, you talk about those those day, how they do assessments and sort of for for like I, my teachers have 100 150 kids they're working. How are they going to pbl project based learning with 150 kids? How are they going to do assignments and give feedback to 150 kids, right? Yeah. But when you have technology in the mix that helps them do some amount as like automated grading. Uh, asynchronous responses, you know, organizing data to help you see, hey, if these kids really need help. This 50% is fine. Let them go ahead. Yeah. Maybe just need. So I feel like we're in a space where we can actually now realize these things at scale. So I think my sort of focus was the scale. Thing. Um, and I'm sure many, many schools can do much more fantastic stuff in the classroom. Um, uh, but I, that's not yet the challenge. I feel like, these schools, big schools will get there maybe in five years. Sure. So, so for me, this is sort of what I think needs to be done. This top down plus bottom up sort of synergy with tech leveraging for scale.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, and I, I really enjoyed reading that particular blog post. And I think you've uh, really, you know, explained how that can be done because I think it's not And that's that's the problem a lot of us probably did in the past, you know, where we assume that, you know, we have a perspective and our perspective is the only way to solve this complex challenge. And then you realize that it's such a large problem with so many uh, stakeholders involved that there can't be a single solution, but it's got to be a conversation. And I think how you framed it in terms of uh, a partnership between a more top down approach to a more learner centric approach is a good balance of perspectives where you constantly not only have to understand the, the, the school community you work in, but also the parents and, you know, the students that you're working with and maybe design solutions that work in, you know, your unique context. And, and I'm very excited for the writing and uh, um, all the videos you're going to be putting out in the next 10 years. And hopefully in 10 years time, we have more of those, you know, wonderful solutions. but. Um, I really, really enjoyed this conversation, Radhika. You know, thank you so much for making time for this. And, you know, one thing I wanted to end this on a positive note. So if Radhika had to uh, write a little letter to the teacher that started teaching 10 years ago, you know, what would some things be? What would you tell her in terms of advice? And this is also for a lot of young people like me uh, taking up teaching as a profession in the long term. You know, what are one or two things you'd tell us to do? uh looking ahead at the future of education from your eyes
1: that's a tough question um but i at least telling myself i think it would be um the things that you did well were uh dive into the experiences and work hard and make the most of your experiences in the education uh the things that i wish you would have done is realize very early on that there's a wealth of information now out there to improve your, improve anything that you set your sort of heart on. Sure. Um, I, I think I developed all my leadership skills just by following like all my mentors online and reading their material. Right. Um, so I think that's the second one. Keep learning, keep uh, looking. And I think the third thing is keep remembering that education is a complex complex um, challenge
0: mm-hmm.
1: and all of us um, all anyone who wants to solve it should go in with um, you know uh, an open mind uh, should keep should not go in with the mentality it's very easy to blame other stakeholders and feel like somebody else in the mix is doing something wrong but if you realize it's super complicated it's, it's not really their fault it's just a complicated problem to solve so a more Open-minded, collaborative, solution-oriented sort of approach sure. is going to get us all, I think, uh, a long way ahead if, if we do that. So I think those are the three things I would tell myself.
0: No, oh, thanks, Radhika. That's I mean those that's wonderful, and I think that's a great note to end this show. And thank you for sharing your your story so honestly and so vulnerably, but also so powerfully. And uh, you know I hope to maybe get a chance to interview three years down the line, and maybe six years down the line. And I think. We'll have a whole new set of insights and stories to hear from you at that point, too. But uh, thank you again for your work as a teacher and as a school leader. And uh, for everyone listening, stay tuned for more such episodes in the near future. And uh, I will be linking Radhika's blog in the show notes. I highly recommend uh, reading her wonderful posts on teaching and learning, but also reaching out to her on social media to understand her work better. Thank you so much. And until next time, keep learning. Thank you, Radhika.
1: Thanks, Abhishek. I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm just going
0: to... Uh-huh.